there, and welcome to episode number 175 of the Pioneering Today podcast. Today, I am going to be giving you some germination tips. Basically, that just means I'm going to tell you how to get your seeds to sprout sooner because the sooner those bad boys sprout, the sooner they grow into plants and the faster we are putting food on the table. Can I get an amen? My name is Melissa K. Norris. I am the author of the book, The Made from Scratch Life and Handmade, as well as the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy and, of course, the host of the Pioneering Today podcast, which you are listening to right now. This podcast is where we don't just inspire you, but I give you the clear steps so that you can create a homegrown garden, pantry, kitchen, and life that you want for your family and homestead. Now, to access any of the links and resources that I'm going to be talking about that go with today's episode, you can always find those with the blog post that accompanies every single podcast episode. So to find today's, you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 175. The number is just 17575 because this is episode number 175. And there I will have links and a full written out post for you in case you want to share that or you want to get links to any of the fun things that I'm talking about. At the time of this recording, we are in the beginning of April. Now in my neck of the woods, which is the Pacific Northwest, we are still getting hard frost overnight on clear nights. So when there's no cloud cover, which in the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> usually we have cloud cover this time of year. But on those clear nights, it gets really cold and we're still down into the 20s. Usually not the teens this time of year, but we definitely can get into the 20s and the low 30s. When we have cloud cover, we kind of hover our overnight lows are in the 40s usually. Now, why am I sharing that with you? The reason I'm sharing that with you is because when you are raising your own food and gardening, you know, and if you don't, you're going to know now that your last average frost date, and then in the fall, your first average frost date, but in the spring, this time of year, your last average frost date, so much revolves around that date with your planting. Most of your seed packets and your plants, it will tell you to put out two to three weeks after your last average frost date, for example, on your warm weather vegetables. So it's a guideline and it can change from year to year. So that's why it says average, right? It's a good idea though for you to kind of keep your own record and see when that happens to fall for you. And like I said, it's a little bit different each year from us if we're getting down to the nitty gritty date. But usually for us, it's mid to end of April. And it depends on if we're having a warm trend that year. And like I said, for us, if we're having clear sunny days, Without that cloud cover, that really affects my last average frost state by as much as a week or two. Now, I said I was going to give you some germination tips, and I am going to do that. And that's because a lot of times we think about doing our annual vegetable garden. So think of you know your big, huge summer vegetable garden with your summer squash, your winter squash, your tomatoes, your peppers, your lettuce, your peas, your beans, your corn. So many fun things. And usually... Those warmer weather crops or that big vegetable garden, most people put all of that in almost at the same time. And we think of growing those crops together, but there are a lot of cooler weather crops that can go in even earlier. 
So some of the earliest things that can go in are going to be your kale, some of your cooler weather lettuce. You are going to be able to put out Brussels sprouts, direct so you're going to be putting down, well, not your onion seeds. If you were doing onion seeds, where it's the little tiny seed, those have to be started indoors like two to three months before you want to plant them out. But your onion sets, those can definitely go out. Those are one of the first things we put down in the spring and radishes. Snow peas are another one that can go in fairly early when you're still having those frosts out. But your germination, so that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to give you some of those tips and then get into a few other things too. But your germination rate specifically is if you planted 10 seeds and all of them sprout, then you have 100% germination rate. If you planted 10 seeds and only seven of them actually sprout and grow into plants, then that's a 70% germination rate. How do we speed up the germination period though? So you've got a time period of how long from when you put seeds in the ground, does it typically take them to sprout and to start growing? And that's going to vary a little bit based upon each seed. Some seeds have a longer germination period than others, but typically anywhere from three to 10 to 14 days. So usually within the longest is going to be a two-week period. Everything is going to start sprouting and popping. That's going to, once you get past that, usually the seed is no good. It's rotting in the ground or for whatever reason, it just didn't germinate. And normally past, when we're talking vegetable, garden seeds, that type of thing, normally past two weeks, if it hasn't sprouted, it's probably not going to. But how do we speed that up? Because if you have got ideal conditions, which we're going to talk about when you're direct sowing, that's putting the seed directly in the ground, like it's permanent planting spot. You're not going to be transplanting it later or starting it indoors. When you have direct sowed it down in there, if you can get that seed to sprout within three to four days instead of 10 to 14 days, then you've got about a week to two weeks, kind of depending on circumstances, where you're going to have that much faster of a harvest. So it's going to come to actual production and harvest time for you almost two weeks sooner. And then you're going to have a longer growing season where it's going to be producing longer for you. So that germination, increasing that is a really simple way without really doing much else. Seed starting is a different story, but I still try to increase my germination time in the house as well. But when we're doing direct sowing, so one of my best germination tips and We always just did it when I was a kid and I've even implemented it and used it on more seeds. But that is to soak your seeds in room temperature to warm water. Now, not hot. So seeds, just so you know, you never want your seeds to be exposed to heat that is 95 degrees Fahrenheit or hotter. So when you are storing them, you don't want to be storing them cooler as much better. But that's kind of the max. So when I'm saying warm water, I mean room temperature, lukewarm, 75 to 80 degrees. Don't be getting it much hotter than that. That's not ideal. But those warm temperatures, and this depends on your seeds. So for example, like your radishes, usually the ground temp, 50 to 60 degrees, they're going to sprout. Whereas if you try to put peppers in the ground, pepper seed in the ground, and the soil temperature is only 50 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit, it's a lot harder. You're not going to get as many of them to sprout and they're not going to be very happy and they take a lot longer to sprout. So ideally, I usually just run the water. So it's pretty much lukewarm and about 70 degrees Fahrenheit. And then depending on the temperature of our room, that's what it's going to settle to. But I soak especially your larger seeds and eight to 16 hours. I wouldn't go over 24 hours is what we do. And these are the specific seeds that I soak. And the reason that we do this is because it allows them to fully 
rehydrate because they're dried, right? When we're storing them, it can knock, literally, it can knock days off of my sprouting time so that those bad boys are sprouting and starting to grow a lot faster. I do it with my larger seeds. So I always do it with my legumes. So your beans and your pea seeds. I do it with my radishes, with my corn seeds. I actually do it with my nasturtium seeds, even some of my herbal and flower seeds that are annuals and I'm planting by seed. If they're a larger seed, then I soak them. I also do it with radish and with my beet seed. Now, your really tiny little seeds like cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, lettuce, carrots, those small seeds, those I don't soak. They're just too tiny and they don't require as much moisture to rehydrate and then to get into germination. But when I shared this, I had a little video that I threw up because I was actually out in the garden planting and I thought, I'm just going to do a really quick little video and, and post this on social media. So if you were on Instagram or my Facebook page, you probably saw this little tip a couple of weeks ago. And one of my readers who saw that said that she doesn't soak her little seeds either. She does the big seeds just like me. But like lettuce seeds, she actually just runs them underneath warm water right before she plants them that she feels that it helps them to sprout faster. She said some seeds, and I have not done the research on this, so I'm just sharing a reader tip with you. And I have not done this. My lettuce and my carrot seeds germinate and sprout really well for me. I do really good with them. So I haven't tried this tip, but I might this year when we go to plant. Um, She said that carrot seeds specifically, she had heard that they have something on them that can sometimes inhibit them germinating. And so she ran them under the warm water one to kind of get the temperature up, get them a little bit of water in there, and then to rinse off anything that may inhibit their germination. Now, like I said, I haven't experienced that, but I thought it was a fun tip. And so I'm just going to pass it on. So like anything in the garden, I'm one of those testers. You guys, like I geek out and I test so many things. I feel like I'm always running a science lab here on our homestead and in the garden. So if you do it, now I soak all my large seeds that I said, but for the carrots, I would run like half of them underneath the warm water and then plant them and then do the other section just like I normally do where I just sprinkle them on top of the surface of the soil, water them and let them go. And then I would document, did I see any difference? Did they sprout faster? Did they grow quicker? That type of thing. Now, another thing when it comes to getting your crops faster, especially if you are pushing the envelope a little bit when it comes to getting them in the ground. And this year, I am doing that. And I shared this inside the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership site and our members, we go in there. And I shared this with them on our members only Facebook Live last week. But I have a new book that will not be available out into the world. Until January 7th, this coming January of 2020. And it's the one year garden plan. And I'm super excited about it. But my publishing company let me know that they wanted to come out to my garden, to our homestead and take the photos that are going to be in the book actually on site. So that's awesome. And I'm really excited because I love for people to see what the reality is, like what we're really doing. And for me, I'm a visual person. Now, I'm a podcast junkie as well. I love listening to podcasts. But when I'm really learning something, I love to have video or photos step-by-step to really walk me through things. So I'm excited that we're going to have the photos and stuff in this book. And then I also do a lot of videos. If you didn't know, I've got my videos up on YouTube. So every Wednesday, we're putting out new tutorials for you there. That's what the Pioneering Today Academy is, is it's full video lessons with download guides that walk you step through step 
everything on the homestead. So from seed starting, winter sowing, crop rotation, companion planting, all of that kind of stuff. I walk you through it with a video step-by-step. You have a download guide and then we have challenges with prizes. So that inspires you and really just helps keep you committed and gets you actually doing this stuff. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I know that there's a prize involved, I usually work just a little bit harder. I'm a little bit competitive. I don't know. It's just something about me. And so if I know that there's a prize going on and a little bit of a competition, then I usually will do a little bit more than if I was just left to my own devices, which is a good thing when it comes to raising our own food and doing that because it gets you involved and we beat off of one another in a good way when it's on a a good focus like that. And we all get more done than we would if we were just doing it on our own, which the Pioneering City Academy, this just naturally segued in. I was going to do it later in the show, but we are not always open for enrollment. A lot of you have asked or emailed in. We haven't been open for regular open enrollment since last fall when we were going to be opening again and so that people could get in and accepting new students. And so this is releasing April 12th, 2019, and we will be open through April 18th. 2019. So April 18th is a Thursday of 2019. We will be open for new students to enroll and becoming a member into the academy. And then we will be closing the doors. And I don't know if we will be opening again this year. So if you have heard about the academy or maybe you've never heard of it for like, oh, I got to check that out. Sounds just like my cup of tea. Then I encourage you to check that out. You go to moscanoris.com forward slash pioneer today academy. Like I said, it'll be in the show notes for this blog post episode. And if you're on my email list, you're going to be getting some emails about that as well, but you're going to want to check it out before the 18th because then the doors will be closed. And then we're going to be taking all of our new students and our current students through the whole growing and gardening year. And we're starting on Earth Day, April 22nd inside our members only gardening challenge. We have some really cool prizes up for grabs in there as well. So anyways, just a little bit of FYI, the doors are actually open. So you can go and check that out before April 18th. After that, you'll just be greeted by a notify form and you can get on the email list for when we open the doors again. And I don't know if that will be in this year, 2019, it will open again for open enrollment or not. So anyways, Back to growing our own food. And I do have a little bit more of a tip. We've been talking about the germination and how to increase that. Sorry, I totally went like down a squirrel tangent, but I get so excited about sharing and talking with you guys, especially when it's about raising and growing our own food because I'm hugely passionate about it. It's made such a difference in my life and I've seen it make such a difference in other people's life and with their health, just so many things. But my publisher said, To meet the deadlines, it's crazy with book publishing. Until I became an author with a publishing house, I didn't know all the intricacies and the behind the scenes. So I actually turned in the book to them January 1st. And then you have different rounds of edits, which is awesome because it makes the book even better and we put in new stuff. And then there's a certain date where I can't change anything. Like it is on a schedule. It goes to the printer. It gets printed. And then all of the avenues where it gets shipped to different bookstores and, of course, you know, Amazon and all the different warehouses and everything is just kind of set. And you can't go and make changes because you've got all of this stuff mapped out. Well, they want to come and do photos, which I'm super excited about because this book is actually going to have color pictures in it. And I'm very happy about that. But here's the deal. 
in order to meet all of the different print deadlines, they need to come to my house and my garden like the last week of May. Well, if you live in a cooler northern climate like I do in the Pacific Northwest, we're about an hour and a half from the Canadian border and we're up in the mountains as well in the foothills of the North Cascade Mountain Range. So we're pretty cool and we have a short growing season. There is a lot of things, y'all. I can't even put into the ground and plant out until the middle of May. Sometimes, depending upon the weather, we have actually planted our regular vegetable garden. Memorial weekend, which is like April 30th, April 31st, the last of May. That means if they try to come and take pictures and we have a cool spring, I don't really have a whole lot showing and growing in the ground. I know that that's when they're going to be coming because we've got to fit it into this schedule. So I am like pushing the envelope even more than usual to see how soon can I get things in the ground and how can I make them grow sooner so that they are one, producing fruit for my family and or vegetable, depending on what it is, right? Food for my family, I should say. And working with those different frost dates and all of that kind of thing. So that's why I give you the germination tip because whatever I put in the ground, like right now I'm putting in a lot of those cooler weather crops um, so that they will be going and good. And I'm putting them in, even in a little bit earlier than I normally would and just really eyeballing the temperature. I actually have a thermometer outside in the garden spot so that I can document it and I can see progressively what's happening in those late nighttime temperatures and early morning temperatures and putting everything out. So that's why I shared with you one, that germination tip. Because even a week can be a difference between something actually having harvestable stuff on the vine, right? Depending what on the plant is and or not. And so I'm doing that. But the other thing, and this is the other tip that I'm going to give you, is we're so lucky right now in this day and age to be able to look at the weather forecast. Now, I know, you know, I know. Usually the forecaster, it really isn't 100%, right? There's a lot of room in there for error. And sometimes we get really frustrated when we've looked at the weather forecast and then it is nothing like they said it was supposed to be. But for the most part, we can look at that forecast and say, okay, today's Monday and for the next four days, it's going to be rainy and cooler. So that's, I'm giving you what my forecast is this week. So for the first part of my week until about Friday, the first five days of the week. It's supposed to be cooler. We're not getting out of the 50s. We're in the 40s at night. And so that means that my soil temperature is going to be still down in the 50s and or the 40s. So that my soil temperature, of course, is not going to be exceeding because I haven't had any sun to heat it up unless I'm using some other methods of plastic and greenhouse and cold frames and all of that, which I am, but my regular garden soil. But when I look at the forecast, I see that on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, we are supposed to have clearing and we're supposed to have sunlight, which means that my soil is going to warm up pretty quick because we're going to be in the mid 60s. Hallelujah. I love it when it's that warm out this time of year. So that means I can't plant out my warm weather crops yet because it's going to be warm during the day and sunny. But that means clear skies at night. I'm going to be having some frost. But the soil temperature will get really warm during the day. So for things that can sprout and survive a frost, like doing more radishes, my beets, those type of things, I can soak my seeds overnight Thursday in warm water and then plant them out late Friday morning when the sun is out in the soil. It has all day to warm up because they'll be in the side. The seeds will be inside my house, which is warm in warm water. 
And then I'll wait for the soil to warm up outside. And then when I plant them, they're going to have all day and that nice heated warm soil. And then they will get the frost at night, but for the next consecutive days, it's going to be warm. So why, why am I sharing that? The reason I'm sharing that is because even though temperature wise, those seeds should sprout. If I were to plant the first half of the week when we are rainy and more cool, I know that they are going to sprout and germinate a lot faster with those warm temperatures. So even though I could get them in the ground maybe four to five days sooner, if I just wait those four to five days longer until the conditions are a little bit more ideal and it's going to be a little bit warmer out, they are going to germinate faster. And because the soil is warmer and the conditions are warmer, not only are they going to germinate faster and therefore start to grow faster, but because they're doing so when it's in a warmer streak of weather then they're going to actually grow faster. So I will gain, even though I'm waiting five days later to plant them in the ground, I'm going to gain production or the ability to harvest them faster by just waiting those few extra days. Because the soil temperature, if you can have your soil temperature, a difference between 10 degrees difference, 15 degrees difference, depending upon how cold, like if it's 50 degrees, and then you move to 65 degrees, that's a 15 degree difference, or even up into 75 degrees on your soil temperature, that can, I'm not kidding you guys, you can get things sprouting and growing in just two to three days compared to it being five to seven days. And your germination rate is usually higher too, whereas like pretty much 100% of your seeds are going to germinate. Whereas when it's those colder temps, you might not have the 100% germination rate. And one of the things that I wanted to share, like why I'm so passionate about growing and raising your own food for so many reasons. And one of them, and especially this year now, you probably don't have a book crew coming to your house to photograph and needing to put plants in the ground sooner. I realize that. But a lot of us do want to be harvesting our food from our own land as soon as possible and then extending that harvest just as long as we can and getting the most from the plants that we've put in the ground. Now, I'm not a doom and gloom, let's focus on the bad stuff. I'm very practical and I tend to be more the glasses half full. Life is just so much better when you look at it through a good positive lens and try to find the goodness situation and move on. But we also have to be realistic, right? And one of the things that I saw, and I did not see this on the news. Now, I will confess, I don't watch a ton of the news. Because one, I feel like I don't care what way you fall on what issue or what station you're watching. I feel like the news is all quite biased. And I feel like a lot of negativity or the clickbait type stuff is shared on the news. Now, not all. There's lots of different news programs. I'm talking in generality. So personally, I don't watch a whole lot of the news. Because usually when I try, I end up talking back to the TV. And by talking back, I should say nice. That's putting it nicely. I get really irritated. So I just don't watch a whole lot of the news. I get what I need to know just from other sources, but not the news on television or the mainstream news, that type of thing. I was on Instagram the other day and I was scrolling through it and I saw a post, which then of course led to some other posts. And it was sharing about the severe devastating floods that they had had in the Midwest that really happened about mid-March. Now, personally, I did not see that as I shared on any of the regular news stations that we've had on or I've managed to catch just here and there at our house. But it's so heartbreaking. A lot of these farmers, and I shared this in my newsletter last week that went out in my email, and I actually had some readers who live in the Midwest, and they 
emailed back and had some conversations and stuff and letting me know. And it's just so sad. A lot of these are your smaller farms. Some are big ag, so big agriculture, bigger farmers, but a lot of them were your smaller farms that are producing food as a living or just maybe for themselves and a few other families, but they're not these huge big corporations necessarily that were hit really hard. It was drastic, severe flooding that came on really fast. And a lot of crops were lost. A lot of feed storage, grain that was put up, wheat and hay. A lot of those crops that were put up in storage facilities were ruined by the floodwaters. But what was really sad, I mean, that's sad too. But a lot of them lost their livestock and specifically cattle and calves. And I mean, like by the hundreds, probably thousands. And it was just this really big, horrible thing that happened in the Midwest. I feel bad for those farmers. Absolutely. And floodwaters, not only do you have the storage crops that it took out in the feed, and then of course, the actual life of the livestock that was lost, which is all bad. But when you have flooding like that, you have a lot of contamination that happens and a lot of damage that takes a lot to clean up because it deposits so much silt and mud. And if you've been building up your fields and your soil, depending on what your crops are and all of that silt and mud and debris is there, it can take a lot to clean up. So basically, this spring planting for most of them is not going to probably happen. And then they're trying for the livestock that did make it. All of their feed was destroyed. So they're trying to find that, but just, which is bad, right? I mean, I love this homesteading way of life. Honestly, we raise all of 100% of our own meat and a lot of our own fruit and vegetables. We've had floods, not like that, but we've had floods and just different things happen sometimes that it doesn't matter how prepared you, that you think you are. There are sometimes things that just happen outside of your control and is a loss. But this is the place that produces a lot of the U.S. beef and grains. Now, like I said, we raise our own. Can't get much more local grown than your own backyard on our beef. We don't raise a ton of grain. We don't actually eat a ton of flour. I do grind my own flour. We don't raise our own wheat, but I do try to buy a lot of that locally. Anyways, side point there. But this can affect the food prices for everybody. And it might not yet. And I'm not saying this to be like doom and gloom, but it's something that we should be aware of because the modern food system, and I know if you're listening to this, many of you are already growing a lot of your own food. A lot of you are seeking out local sources for things that you can't purchase. Like I know that, but it's still something to consider that some of these prices for different things potentially really could rise as we go through these next months. And severe weather, if it wops out a crop, it can actually have an impact globally on prices. So for example, if you make your own vanilla extract, which my hand is raised, I make my own vanilla extract. About two years ago, where the vanilla beans are raised and harvested, there was severe weather and the crops were really affected. And so vanilla bean prices and real vanilla extract went not even double, was like quadrupled for some of this stuff. And honestly, they have not really came back down. They maybe have came down a little bit. and It's been two years since this happened, but they're still pretty high if you price them from a few years back. Now, I was really lucky. I had bought a lot of vanilla beans right before that happened. So I haven't had to buy any new vanilla beans yet. And so I was looking at what my last invoice was because vanilla beans is not something we're growing here on our homestead. And I purchased them. And Oh my goodness. I'm like, oh, I feel so fortunate, but I've got one batch left and then I'm going to have to get some new beans and get a new batch going. And the price is so much more. Right now it's about three times what it was, what I paid almost, I guess about two years ago, right before the thing went up. 
And so I share that because really when we're buying things like that from the store and you have something like this that was unexpected that could potentially have an impact on grain, wheat, and beef prices, then it's even more important that we are raising a good portion of our food or moving towards that, right? And taking those steps. And for some people, that means we see prices, for example, like salary prices have gone up a whole lot recently. And I think there's speculation that it, there's like apparently a celery juicing thing going on. I don't know because I don't, I don't juice my vegetables. I prefer to eat my foods pretty much whole. Or if I make a smoothie, then I, I even use bananas in smoothies and I put them in with the peel because there's so much good stuff in the peel. You guys, as a form of resistant starch and it's got pretty much any vegetable or fruit. The peel is where most of the nutrients are at. And if you blend it up really well, you can't taste it. It's not gritty. And so I use the whole part of the banana. Of course, I wash it really well because I'm using the peel before I put it in. But when we see those prices rise for whether it be a weird food craze that's going on, like celery juice, apparently, or there's something catastrophic that can wipe out a crop in an area that we're so dependent upon as a nation or even worldwide, as in with the vanilla beans, having our own food and what we are growing can help supplement. So if we do still need to purchase some of those items in that price, increase affects us, then we've got more money readily available because we are producing more of the other crops that we can grow in our area ourselves so that we're saving that way. But also that if we don't have the funds then we've got our own food to fall back on, you might be more limited, right? We might not have as much variety, but we've got that and we are producing our own food. And so it's not going to hit us as hard as it's going to be somebody who's not doing any of it. All of that share with you why I'm so passionate about raising and growing your own food. And I'm so excited that you are listening because if you're listening to this, then that means you are too. Now, if you listen to last week's episode, I mentioned we're having the 10,000 Grow Challenge where we are 10,000 families. That's our goal by January of 2020 to have 10,000 families say, I'm committing and I'm going to raise a year's worth of at least one food item here at home. Now, if you have a little itty bitty space, or you haven't really gardened before. You're like, I'm brand new, but dude, I'm stepping in. I'm going to do it. For you, that might be an herb item. You're like, I'm going to raise enough dill that I have all of my own dill seed for making pickles, I hope, and dill weed for seasoning things. And I'm going to have a year's worth of it. And that I can actually preserve a year's worth of that. I don't even have to have a dehydrator. It can help, but you can dehydrate your own dill weed very easily. It'll air dry. And that's something that you can grow if you just have, you know, a couple of containers. So herbs are a great way to go that way. That might be yours. Or you might be like, this is the year I'm going to make sure that I raise enough tomatoes to take us full for the entire year on all our tomatoes products. Like I'm going to have enough tomato sauce done up from what we've raised ourselves on our tomatoes. And that's what I'm committing to. And some of you, because we have people taking the challenge and you can get that at the show notes as well as go to melissakingnorris.com forward slash 10,000. So the number 10,000. So one, zero, 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 one, and then four zeros. <laughs> and it'll take you right there. And then you can pop your name and email in and say, yes, I'm joining the challenge. Share that page with other people. But it's my hope that we'll have 10,000 people doing that because how amazing. And I have to tell you, once you start, like the first time I raised enough of this to take this, I don't ever have to buy this from the store again. It's pretty awesome. I still get excited about it. Then you're like, okay, next year, we're going to add at least one more item. And then each year you build and you grow. And so that each year you're producing more and more of your own food, but without overwhelming yourself. And it's pretty awesome. I hope that you'll join me on that. 
And now we are moving to our verse of the week. So I am in Ephesians chapter one. I recently just decided I was going to go through the book of Ephesians. So you're getting to join me on that journey. And I'm starting right at chapter one. This is the amplified translation of the Bible. And it is Ephesians chapter one, verse eight, which he lavished upon us in every kind of wisdom and understanding practical insight and prudence. That's my prayer for you and my prayer for myself that I would have the wisdom and the understanding and I love that practical insight and prudence. Oh, you guys, in today's world, how much is just practical insight and prudence lacking? And so I pray that the good Lord would give me his wisdom and understanding and he would do the same for you as we make our way through this life. And I thank you so much for being on the journey with me. I cannot wait to be back here with you next week. And I hope that you get to be with me inside the Pioneering Today Academy. Go and check that out because you just got one week before the doors are closed. And I would love to have you joining us and raising more of your own food. Bye for now.